What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Park Church Podcast. I'm your host, James Lapine. I'm so glad you guys are here with us today to listen to the show. As you know, every episode, here's what we do. We talk with a well-known author, speaker, leader, etc. We take their thoughts and ideas and we distill them down into practical next steps that you can incorporate into your everyday life. So we take the theory and we make it actionable. Uh, Today, our guest is John Bryson. John is a pastor and elder at Fellowship Memphis, a multicultural church that he helped found in Memphis, Tennessee. He also served on the board of Acts 29 uh, and is a partner with Fellowship Associates. He's the lead writer and co-presenter of 33 The Series with Authentic Manhood. Uh, And John travels the country consulting and investing in churches, leaders, and great ideas. John is an awesome guy. He's, he's been out to Park Church before to talk with Acts 29 church planners, to talk with our guys, and to help us um, grow and develop as a staff and, and as church leaders. Um, so I'm really thankful for John, really thankful that he took the time to do this show today. Um, here's what we talked about. Uh, why he decided to plant in Memphis, uh, the three things he fights every single day, the three things that he wakes up and just goes, I'm fighting against these three things today. Um, why and how to get in touch with your emotions. This is actually something that John helped me with. Um, so I think you'll enjoy this story and uh, how to think about the upcoming election season. We've been asking most guests leading up to November, hey, maybe not who are you going to vote for, but how should we be thinking about the upcoming election season? So uh, yeah, it's a really great episode. I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, we mentioned some resources on this podcast. As always, you can find those at www.parkchurchdenver.org slash podcast. There you can click on John Bryson's name and that'll take you to the, uh, the episode page for this particular episode. Uh, if you enjoy the episode, here's what I'd ask you to do. Hop into iTunes and subscribe so that you're notified when, when a new one comes out. And then while you're in there, if you could rate and review us, that's going to help other people find the show. And I really appreciate you doing that. Um, okay, that's all I got for you. Let's jump into this episode with John Bryson. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, taking the time. We're excited to chat with you. Um, I'd love to start off just by uh, by having you familiarize yourself with with our audience. For people who don't know you or uh, the work that you've done, could you give us a, a five minute John Bryson story? I'd love to. It probably won't need five minutes. I grew up in a little town in eastern Kentucky called Harlan. I uh, went to college right outside of Lexington, met a guy, played baseball there, was involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, met a guy named Tommy Nelson, who uh, later told me about a discipleship program he did for 12 guys each year. And so in 1991, I moved to Denton, Texas, and um, for what I thought was going to be nine months, ended up staying 11 years I uh, went to business school, eventually took a class at Dallas Seminary, helped with the college ministry there, then came on staff as the college director, and so I was there 11 years total, the last seven as the college pastor, and uh, uh, kind of the collision of my growing love for the church and uh, my passion for entrepreneurialism, kind of somebody mentioned church planting, which I'd never even thought about that, and uh, it, um and so that turned into looking to figure out how to plant a church and found a residency program in Little Rock, Arkansas, where they were just learning how to train guys to do that. And so I left Denton, moved to Little Rock for a nine-month residency in 2002. And then in 2003, I moved to Memphis to plant Fellowship Memphis. And so I've been a uh, planted fellowship with uh, several other guys, been here 13 years 
and then have just reinvested a lot in church planting uh, through Fellowship Associates. Uh, just rolled off the board of Acts 29, but kind of was a part of Matt Chandler's team to kind of reorient Acts 29 and uh, towards some of the directions of the, of that we get into today as far as diversifying it and planting better trained men and uh, promoting residencies. And so, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Married Beth 21 years ago. We've got six kids, uh, all under 11, so things are pretty busy at home. But, uh, uh, yeah, loving what's going on. The Lord's been kind to us. Nice. Yeah, there, there you go. That was 90 seconds. That, was, that wasn't even close to five minutes. It's almost like you've done that before, perhaps. I tell my body all the time, I preach fast and talk fast, so they're going to have to listen fast. So, yeah, <laughs> I usually, just embraced it. Right. No, that's great. I, I usually listen to podcasts on you know one and a half or two times the speed, but I, don't, I think for this one, people could probably just listen at normal speed and be okay. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you, you get this itch to plant a church. You do the residency with, with Fellowship Associates, and then you pick Memphis. Um, tell us about why you chose Memphis and then what that looked like whenever you went to, to go and plant the church. Yeah, we, the I, I, st- I started thinking about um, several different cities. I uh, actually, right as I was thinking about what to do next with my life before church planting was clear, um, I, I was kind of that thirty-one, thirty-two year old that a couple of established churches were kind of looking to me to be a succession plan, and so I kind of walked around some other churches and thought, man, would I want to be the next leader here? And just the, the idea of stepping into someone else's culture, I finally got language that, like, man, I, I want to build something from the ground up. And then on one of those, I was in Santa Cruz, California, and it would, would have been a very cool place to live, And but I just I spent a week there, and I remember just journaling, man, I'm just kind of a southeastern kid, like, everything I can't stand about the South. I want to see the gospel change and everything I love about it. I love it deeply. And Mm. um, so I remember writing in my journal, I want to wake up every day. If I could wake up every day and fight legalism, traditionalism and racism, like that could get me out of the bed each morning. Mm. And so um, we had in our college ministry, we'd seen some uh, university of North Texas was a very diverse school, though Denton Bible was predominantly white. We had had seen some growth in our college ministry in a diverse way, uh, I'd hired a guy named Heidi Lewis who played football there, and he and I and James White and some others were trying to figure out multi-ethnic ministry to a campus that had a ton of African Americans and a ton of white kids and a ton of Hispanic kids, and and so that started during college ministry. But when 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 we moved to plant a church, I thought, man, if we could. Um, build that into the DNA from the very get-go and not sure how to do this, but man, I want to have a diversified team. And if it could happen in a place like Memphis, um, where Dr. King himself was assassinated, like it would remove every other excuse from every other city in the world. And so we just begged God to do something that felt crazy, to plant a multi-ethnic church in, in the middle of Memphis, Tennessee, and he's been kind to let us see some of the fruit of that. Yeah, talk, talk about that. What challenges did you see as you as you got started with a multi ethnic church? Yeah, well, there just weren't very many models or that I knew of out there mm. that were gospel centered and preached the Bible and did evangelism and did discipleship and loved their city and were multi ethnic and as well as multi generational and uh, socioeconomically uh, diverse. And so, and I would say all of those things have to be nuanced that, uh, um, that a lot of our class diversity has actually been harder than our race diversity, mm-hmm. uh, though they've been enormous. And it just, I mean, the way I experienced it is it just felt overwhelming. It felt overwhelming enough just to plant a church <laughs> and then to add kind of the, um, 
to say that intentionally, man, we're begging God that this be multi-ethnic um, uh, and that, man, generationally diverse and all those things just felt really, really heavy, but it really felt like the the right way to go. And kind of in the language I use, like, it's, I mean, Memphis really didn't need another predominantly white or predominantly black church, but uh, but something new that brought gospel centrality and and uh, multi-ethnic edge would could be a real uh, catalyzer for the city, uh, a place of healing for the city, and, and in some small way, by God's grace, that's happening and starting to happen and has been happening. That's awesome. And and some of the practical steps that you took in order to to see that happen. I mean, you, you talked about starting with uh, with a diverse leadership team. Yes. What other advice? Yeah. Well, that one's. Uh, one, I think it starts just personally. One of the personally is just raising dramatically my racial IQ, and um, uh, one of the privilege, one of the privileges of being majority culture and, and a piece of white privilege is you can grow up white in America and not have to think about race, or only have to think about it when a Ferguson blows up, or a policeman gets shot, or a kid gets shot. Um, and so to dive into the history of race in America, dive into issues of uh, that. I mean, I just became a voracious reader of both black authors, black history authors, historians, uh, as well as issues of race themselves. And then that coupled with legit relationship Mm -hmm. where there's intense conversation and with people of different races and ethnicities and cultures from you. The combo of those two things allows you to become a learner, uh, and pretty quickly, um, of, uh, of of how to steward this whatever vision God's given you through those lenses. So it's just a it became a lens through which we looked at everything. Yeah. So um, if we're going to do evangelism, what does that look like for the whole city? You know, if we're going to do this or that, we just if we're going to put a pick pick a picture for our website, like we just run it through that lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was just. Uh, learning, uh, relationship, and massive intensity. I mean, crazy uh, intentionality um, toward everything we did. That's great. One, one or two books that stick out from that time that you read that you could recommend? I'll tell you what, I've, I've linked a summary of, of, of 13 of them that I can email you. and Maybe you can link it with this podcast, and it's in a Dropbox folder, and uh, it summarizes 13 or 14 that I think have been really helpful to me in about seven, 70 pages. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, we'll put that, um, for, for the listeners, we'll put that up at www.parkchurchdenver.org slash podcast. Uh, when you get there, you can click on John Bryson's name, and then uh, you'll find a link to, to that resource in the show notes. Um, switching gears a little, well, not really switching gears. If you're talking to a pastor of a large, uh, homogenous church who he says, we're super white, we're super black, we're super whatever, um, and we don't want to be that way. What would you tell him to do? Yeah, it's. Uh, I always hesitate to answer that question because I've not done that. Okay. <laughs> and so it, it, it's. Um, it would be. You're in for a really long labor, but I think it's a. It, it's it's the only direction. 
essentially like you. Um, our culture, our cities, almost everywhere is diversifying faster than we can even understand. So eventually, uh, that's going to happen. And I would just say the Lord tends to honor labors in that direction. And so there's a huge church here in Memphis. Um, I'm close friends with the pastor. Same situation. He took over probably a 13,000 person church that was 95% white. And he's just slowly, uh, he's an African American, which helps tremendously, but even his hiring, his diversifying his staff. Uh, uh, one of the great um, blessings we have is it is it's almost hard to untangle it from our multicultural body. Is what I've called from day one kind of a theology of discomfort, and so we've kind of woven into our people that we're not sitting around trying to design a service for a. 28 to 35 year old middle to upper class white hipster or, or <laughs> plug in whatever subcategory we are. So we're constantly experimenting with worship. And I've just noticed that's been a big sacred cow. Like a lot of guys in the tribes I run in would love to have a multi-ethnic church say that all the time, but they're definitely not going to change their worship music. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to disrupt their body in any way. And then they just keep wondering why it's not diversifying. And so having the courage to really disrupt style uh, for the sake of a bigger uh, impact and a broad or a broader impact. I'd say it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Mark DeMoz talked about that a little bit on the, on the last podcast. He talked about the, the difference between assimilation and accommodation. Yes. So he said assimilation is essentially, Hey, we'd love to have more people who aren't like us here as long as they like it the, the way that we do things. Exactly. Accommodation exactly says, right. okay, tell me how you guys would do this. Yes. And then maybe we do it that way. You know, yeah, totally. And and you and it's not you don't create some mushy middle ice like let's bring the best of all cultures in our city. Mm-hmm. And and like so I love it. I tell every one of our I still do almost all our newcomer classes and membership classes. And I tell them, you know, when somebody walks out of fellowship on a Sunday and go, man, I've never seen that in church before. Like we're just like <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. You know, that's great. And so. I'm glad we've done that because it's it's we've created a we've gotten all kinds of other benefits from kind of creating that resilience within our people. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. Um, if you were talking to it, I know you do talk to church planners regularly. What are things that you tell them? Uh, here are two or three things that we've done at Fellowship that have gone really really well, or here are two or three things that we tried and we fell on our faces. Church planning in general, or specifically in our multi ethnic pursuit. Um, Either way, I, I, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah most, uh, most guys plant too fast, too soon, too young, um, and then their church absorbs all their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so I tell a guy all the time, man, if the first time you're hiring somebody is in your church plant, first time you've done a job interview, first time you brought anybody in for a interview, first staff meeting you ever led was the, is the first staff meeting in this church plant. Like you do not need to be planting a church. <laughs> like you need to be a really, really good churchman and then, you know, absorb lessons learned and let a church send you and you, you can at least do what they did and learn from them and, and tweak it. So a lot of guys plant too young too. or I've never met a church planner yet that regrets waiting too long to plant a church. Mm-hmm. And we got thousands of skins on the wall, tragically, from guys who just were just too young, too early. Um, most churches are underfunded, uh, did not raise enough money initially. It's the reason most businesses fail. <laughs> it's not because of, uh, just watch Shark Tank. I mean, it's not because it's not a great idea or meets a need. It's just not financed enough to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's usually mistakes 
in hiring. Uh, they hire a buddy, hire a friend, um, and don't really hire the right kind of hires early on to really help the church get to a place where it can um, flourish and help other churches and all those kinds of things. And so, yeah, those are a couple things uh, I tend to talk to other guys about. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned how you are uh, rolling off the X29 board. What what were you guys up to to try to alleviate some of that? Um, and, and then maybe you can talk a little bit more. I know the, the vision video just came out of uh, last week, maybe. Yeah. Um, but maybe talk a little bit about the global vision for, for church planning there. Yeah, well, all of those, we saw the potential for all those things. And um, we also knew that the culture of Acts 29 was not something we were proud of or excited about um, or really, uh, you know, it, it was equal times embarrassing as it was exciting. And so we um, we we were just like, man, how, how can we need to recognize what we are? We are a global uh, uh, family of church planting churches. So X29 doesn't plant churches. X29 churches plant churches. Mm-hmm. So just establishing some of that language, we want to be a catalyst for church planting. Um, we want to diversify our church planters, we, uh, both yeah internationally as well as racially here in America and, and everywhere. We want to tra- you know be known for our holiness. We want to tr- uh, plant better trained men. So we what that meant was we re- we had a really good assessment process, but really beefed it up even more on really helping guys uh, have a pathway to um, development so that their church plant's healthy and they're healthy and all that remains healthy. And so <clears throat> it was a challenge. I, you know, it was the first time I'd kind of been on a board that of something that big and, and more, it became more legislative than, than just, I'm just going to go do this, you know? <laughs> um, but it, but I loved working with Matt and Eric and Leonce and Steve and Bruce and all those guys. It was a very rewarding as well. That's awesome. Um, you were here in Denver about two years ago. You, you gave a talk to some 829 pastors in the Rocky Mountain region. Um, and, and this is shifting gears and, uh, we don't have to go there if you don't want to. I just, your talk has stuck with me since then. You talked about, uh, getting in touch with your emotions. You talked about this feelings wheel that you would use with, with your wife. So I, I share this story uh, with people all the time. It really helped me figure out, uh, uh, that I had been stuffing emotions and that I needed to start working through that stuff with my wife and with my friends. And um, I'd love for you to to maybe tell some of that story and, and share it with our people. Yeah, I, I was probably a couple years into our church plant, so probably 33, 34 years old, uh, been married 10 years or so, got invited to a strategic planning retreat for fellowship associates. So I kind of drove over to Hot Springs, Arkansas, ready to get all in my head and hands and take off and there were two guys at the table I didn't expect to be there, and we got about 20 minutes into the meeting, and one of them said, man, JB, are you with us? And I was like, man, I'm here, yeah, yeah, you know, and he went on to just say, man, you seem so distant, seem like one of those guys who's all in his head, but I, just, I don't feel like I've heard your heart, I feel like you're distracted, and man, it just feels like you're constantly just figuring things out in your head, and uh, man, that's I feel sorry for you. And I was like, what in the world? Yeah, I bet this got 30 <laughs> minutes ago, and he goes, I bet you're lonely. And man, I just started bawling. And I wasn't much of a crier. And it just, like one of those uncontrollable, you know, just bawling. So he just spent the next two or three hours just kind of put me in the middle of the room with two of my other buddies who were there and, and coworkers and just started unpacking how 
typical that was. And if we were going to be training church planters, uh, most of them are going to be really comfortable in their head and really comfortable with their hands and really uncomfortable with their heart and how transformation only happens from wholehearted leadership and redemptive communities can only be planted out of wholehearted leaders and that I was a perfect example of what we had to fix. And if we were wanting to fulfill this vision of the continuing to create church planters, our residency needed to be able to, to deal with the heart as much as the head and the hands and our team needed to be a wholehearted team. And though I was the, the example that day he tore into my other two partners as well. And uh, it just set me down a radically different path of how to do everything, like how to do life and, on that journey to kind of figure out what wholeheartedness looked like and um, that I recognized I didn't, I just didn't really feel um, and had learned not to feel and, and definitely didn't express feeling. And so, uh, um, yeah, I'd say I've been on a 10 or 11 year figuring out of what the, what all that means and the massive implications of that. And yeah, that's what haunted me. He was just like, man, the only thing God wants is your heart. He's not impressed with your head and your hands. You know, what you're, you can continue living this way, but God, your wife, your kids, and your friends only want your heart. Like mm-hmm. that's the currency for intimacy is being able to put voice to your emotion. And you're not going to have intimacy with God, your wife, your friends, or your kids if you can't, um, if you can't access your heart. So, yeah, it was a game changer. <laughs> what what sort of – It used to be. Yeah, yeah. What um... – what sort of things have you done to access your heart? Yeah, I start um, another mentor kind of took that baton and uh, uh, I spent a lot of time with him and <clears throat> he really kind of took me way back to Genesis three and um, how the first time God even speaks in the Bible, it's a question, um, Adam, where are you? And uh, he really cast a vision for me to, uh, in the same way, hear the Lord asking me that question, which means not just where I am physically, but where I am emotionally. And so the whole way I relate to the Lord now is I start my praying or start my time with Him by just kind of figuring out where I am. I've got fear. I've got, I'm hurt. I've got uh, gladness here. I've got sadness here. I'm feeling guilt. I'm feeling shame. And so I express that to the Lord. It's become pretty common language for my my wife and I, you know, like I'm feeling fear. Well, that leads to, that's an invitation to a relation, you know, into a relationship over what, how can I be praying for you? Like all those other mm-hmm. things that we would do for each other. She would pray for me. You know what I'm saying? But man, there's just such a, a depth to that now. Um, it's become part of the language about, man, I got some fear telling you this, or I've got some shame asking you this question. But So it's become part of my vocabulary and the way I relate to coworkers and friends and kids and um, God and my wife. And so, yeah, uh, I've got a group I meet with still. We're probably five or six years in. I may have talked about it there in Denver, but uh, yeah. it's not a Bible study. Those are great. It's not a prayer group. Those are great. It's not even accountability. Those are great. It's just a, it's a chance for five men to sit in a circle and express what made them have strong feelings that week. Um, and there's, then there's story attached to that. And, uh, but man, we, the, that's been awesome. So we do that every Friday and, um, um, check in with each other if we can't be there. Mm. That's great. That's uh, we, we return to the Psalms every summer here at park, uh, mm. because of the way that David and others yes. express their emotions. Um, yeah. And we see a model for God wanting us to, to come to him in that way. 
Yes. Um, why do you, or where do you think we learn to shut out our emotions? Yeah, there's probably a bunch of factors going on there uh, culturally and even gender-wise. And um, it feels like we, specifically our young men, that's the only experience I can talk about. It's, hmm. you're almost, that's the vision cast for directly and indirectly for growing up. It's basically, you know, you don't feel anymore. You don't cry. You control yourself. You know, nothing gets you rattled. Like, those are all, like, noble things. And I'm the same way. I, I read David. That dude is off. He's dialed in, man. He is awesome. You know, I, I want that guy. Lord, I want him dead and his kids dead. He, there's like one song he wishes like five generations of death upon a guy. And then he's like, but I know you to be a gracious and noble guy. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, wow, that, that wholeheartedness is just beautiful. Like that's that's actually what's going on inside. And so my, my goal in life is to get outside of me what's going on inside of me. Um and so that there can be relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The, the story I tell, so you gave the talk about two weeks later, it's my birthday. Um, and I don't like to make a big deal out of my birthday. My wife wants to make a big deal out of my birthday. So we, uh, this was yeah two years ago. We have this, this constant back and forth all day where we're feeling this tension of, I'm like, leave me alone. Just don't make a big deal out of yeah. it. She's like, I want to love you by, by making a big deal of it. So we, we get to the end of the day, we get home and I'm, I go to the kitchen to start cleaning up and uh, she comes in and she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, you want to know what's wrong with me? And I had this whole, just like huge blow up. I was like, if you want to see some emotions, here they are, you know, I'm angry about this. And, um, so I obviously handled that situation really, really poorly, but that was, that was step number one to accessing the heart and, and, and doing that with her. Um, and now I'm able to, to do that in a, in a more controlled way. So thank you for that. Um, I, I talk with guys about that all the time, and, uh, and that's really, really helpful. Appreciate it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, man. Um, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's wrap up with a few uh, rapid-fire questions, and then I'll let you go. Great. Okay. Uh, favorite TV show, movie, and or book that you've read or watched recently? Oh, let me think about this just a second. I usually have four or five of each going on all the time. Um, I want to give a really good answer. I mean, I loved, uh, um, shoot, let me think of, I'm thinking <laughs> of a TV show, a series I just watched. I was a huge fan of 24, uh, binge watched all those. Breaking Bad was awesome. Uh, loved the storytelling and the character development. Um, tried to get into True Detective, couldn't really. Um, but I've been enjoying kind of, I'm usually a little late to the game and I really watch them. Um, when they're playing, but I, my brother feeds me Netflix recommendations all the time. And so <laughs> I love knocking out those two or three, uh, season TV shows that tell a really good story. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, I just read Patrick Lencioni's re- most recent book, which I won't think of the name of it, but, or what makes a great teammate or what makes a great employee. Um, and I really enjoy his quick reads and he really, uh, is talking a lot about hustle and what does it mean for a, for teammates to be hustlers and uh, man just work hard and go above and beyond and so i just read that i read um the wright brothers which was really cool um and their whole journey to flight which i never really knew that story and so enjoyed kind of reading through that 
uh, man, six kids under 11, I don't get to movies much. So uh, <laughs> I love them, but just I, I'm the last person to keep up with good movies. Uh, so I uh, hadn't done much movies recently. Got it. Great. Um, nerdiest thing that you're into right now? The thing that you kind of don't want to tell me that you're doing? Nerdiest thing that I'm into? You don't seem like a big nerd, honestly. I'm not a big nerd, so I, I get embarrassed at my lack of nerd nerdness. So, like, I I, uh, I want like I feel like I owe it to my kids to love Star Wars and love Star Trek and yeah. read Tolkien and all this stuff, and I just I just don't I just can't. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. We can pass on that one. Um, a question that I've been asking every uh, uh, podcast guest is not necessarily who are you going to vote for, but but how can you help our listeners think well about this upcoming election season? Yeah, man. Well, good night. Um, I'm wrestling through kind of how to respond to that, how to uh, uh, whether to preach a series or a Hmm. sermon on just what the gospel says about politics. And and my church is very interesting because you have polar extremes sitting right beside each other. And so Hmm. it's uh, it's very interesting. We we, uh, I've honestly been. I've been so Memphis focused that I've kind of been out of the national political discourse. I was real curious about politics in my twenties and early thirties and I'm just kind of distant from it. So this has been a shocking kind of, what am I going to do? You know, (laughs) how, how am I going to handle this? Am I going to sit it out? Am I going to vote for one of these two? Am I going to, um, I know I'm called to pray. I know I'm called to pray for whoever's elected. And so what I find myself doing is, calling people back biblically to man we're we're to, we're to submit to whatever authorities above us we're to pray for them regularly you know here's what we can't do demonize and talk bad mm-hmm. about but uh uh have convictions vote vote your conscience that's what i'd say i mean vote your conscience and then submit to whoever is above us know the lord reigns supreme over them and and don't put all if if all your hopes and if your hopes and dreams rise and fall to the biggest extremes that first Wednesday in November, like then maybe we've got an idol here out of politics and let's yeah. talk about that. So, yeah, that's good. Thanks. Yeah. Um, anything new in the works that you want to tell us about? Anything new? Uh, we're yeah, now not necessarily new. We just wrapped up, uh, I've been doing a manhood curriculum for the last three years. And so, that's kind of taken all my writing space and really proud of what 33's become. And we just did a man in his uh, fatherhood and really leaned into Tim Kimmel and um, Meg Meeker and some other folks who are really good um, speaking into issues of parenting. And so that's the sixth of that. And so now I'm just really wanted to create a, a, a manhood curriculum that could create great discussion among men and so now we've got 30 lessons it's six or 36 lessons six sets of six lessons each and uh so i've just now got the headspace to go what would i want to write on now and tackle now and so i'm actually committed this summer to kind of just brainstorm ideas because i i found in that that i love writing and it's one of the things that helped me get out on paper it, it comes easily to me so yeah i'll probably be writing some stuff over the next couple of years but i hadn't honed in on exactly what that is gotcha and where can people find 33? Then go to authenticmanhood.com. Uh, it's carried on Lifeway as well. Uh, but authenticmanhood.com uh, is probably the best place to go as far as learning about it and how to use it and all that good stuff. Okay, great. And, and website for your church is? FellowshipMemphis.org. Okay. And so people could find sermons and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Um, anywhere else we should link people to? Uh, no, you'll be able to find all you need there. That's from okay. my end as far as what's what's happening. So and they can follow you on Twitter at John Bryson. It's actually John W. Bryson, so it's got John. my oh yeah John n- middle Wiley. initial in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, uh, thank you again for the time. Yeah, it's been great, man. Enjoyed it. All right. See you later. Thanks. Okay, I hope you enjoyed our interview with John Bryson. Like I said, we mentioned a bunch of resources on that show, and you can always find those at parkchurchdenver.org slash podcast. Once you get there, you'll see John's name. You can click on that, and it'll take you to the show page. Uh, two things I'd ask of you as we close out today. Number one, subscribe so that you don't miss out when we post new episodes of the show. And two, uh, while you're in there, rate and review us on iTunes. That'll just help other people find the show. So if you're enjoying it, help other people find it. Um, and I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking about the show. Uh, you can always feel free to drop me a line at james at parkchurchdenver.org. Uh, any thoughts that you have, good or bad, I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking of the show. That's all I got for you today, and we'll see you next time on the Park Church Podcast. Mm-hmm.